You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Thursday, September 10th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Mother Truckers, the local mom and pop grocery store on the Ridge, featuring organic produce, local goods, freshly prepared food, also beer and wine. Online shopping with curbside pickup available. MotherTruckersGrocery.com And Nevada County Registrar of Voters, announcing vote-by-mail ballots will be mailed out on October 5th. Online voter registration available at registertovote.ca.gov. The Registrar of Voters encourages participation in the democratic process by voting. We begin tonight's newscast with Steve Baker speaking with Pascal from Ubinet for today's fire update. This piece was originally recorded at 1 o'clock today. Do you think this might be the worst air quality day that we've had this week? Um, yeah, probably. And uh, sadly, I have to say that it's going to get worse as the day uh, goes on. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, we are definitely in the unhealthy category uh, right now, and uh, it's only going to get worse. Um, it's, of course, nothing compared to Oroville, where it is hazardous. But still, um, yeah, the... the the winds, the, the upper-level winds have shifted, and they are coming from the south, and they're blowing all the smoke that blew out from all these fires and blowing it right back at us. And so our our air quality is degrading very fast. Oh, boy. Well, so, so everybody, stay safe. Stay out of the – stay indoors as much as you can. Yeah, it's um, a good thing to stay inside and, and really – uh, focus on <laughs> on having uh, the cooler temperatures are good, but it's it's going to be very hard to open up your your windows tonight because it's going to get incredibly smoky. And speaking of, speaking of smoke, maybe you can tell, let us know what the the status is on some of the fires that are uh, that are causing that smoke. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with the Fork Fire on the El Dorado National Forest. That is two thousand acres. The uh, they have it a little, um, uh, uh, they <clears throat> decrease the acreage a little bit. Uh, Air attack and ground resources have estimated it. They have, there was no, there was no IR flight available to actually uh, map the, fly, uh, the fire. Um, and also it is very hard for any tankers to fly on any of the fires because of the, because of the smoke, the very poor visibility if they can't see where they're dropping that. Uh, so, but helicopters are working on all the fires, including the Willows Fire, which is, of course, at, right at the north of Collins Lake. Um, that, uh, that fire is still at 1,311 acres, but it's 15% contained. So there, there's some progress being made there. There is a huge push to uh, establish dozer lines uh, and uh, generally uh, make sure that the north complex and specifically the Bear Fire does not uh, come further to uh, to the south. That is today. That is one of the that is one of the priorities there because the the north complex, of course, 247,000 acres, and uh, they had it 40 48 percent contained. Uh, 
48 hours ago. And of course, then uh, the Bear Fire blew out, added uh, close to 200,000 acres to it. And so now they are working on the, um, focusing on the, the south side, which is uh, the area closest to Laporte and that area to, to make sure that the fire doesn't come anywhere close and, and creates more damage than, than it already has. Okay. Those are so. Those are the fires. Uh, the the fires in our immediate vicinity. Um, there are there are of course many many more uh, fires. Uh, the Mendocino complex is now at four hundred seventy one thousand acres. I mean, it's just. It's, is that then, the one they call the August complex? That's the August, the Mendocino August complex, and then the Elkhorn fire that also blew up t- uh, two hundred forty one thousand acres. Uh, and now we have the Slater, Slater Fire, which is on the Klamath National Forest, that has actually burned into Oregon, um, and that's now 127,000 acres. Oh, and this, this six-figure fire is uh, almost, almost yeah. everywhere. It's just a, absolutely, yeah. a, a, again, astounding, it's unprecedented. Insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, we even have we even have the the, the LNU, so the uh, Lake uh, Napa uh, Lightning Complex. I mean, that's at three hundred and sixty-three thousand acres. Um, then uh, the, the I mean, there are so so many fires. I mean, the, the we have uh, fires. The, I mean, three hundred and ninety thousand acre fires are four hundred thousand acre fires are just normal now. Yeah, I believe I uh, I believe I read today that uh, the August complex fire with this 400 well over 400,000 acres um, is now the largest uh, largest fire in the history of uh, California going back to uh, like about 1926 or something like that. Yep. Yep. Yes, and that's and that's just uh, and and again that uh, that acreage is from an infrared flight that was done uh, um, on the night of uh, September 8th. So uh, it, it, may, it may be bigger by now. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's but but um, locally at this time we don't have any fires, so that's a good thing. There was a, a little alert for uh, a possible fire in Cascade Shores, but that turned out to be just a small spot. And by the time firefighters got there, the, the homeowners had already uh, a hose on it, and uh, that is uh, that small spot was uh, taken care of. But uh, it's really right now, um, with even though the, this pall of smoke is hanging over us, can you please not add more smoke to it? And so be incredibly careful about uh, what's what's happening there. Yeah, because uh, and you know right now the old knocking on wood here because uh, um, we've been able to avoid you know, a, a real serious one at this point. The Jones one was obviously the very was was bad, but but boy, we just hearing the, just hearing the acreage figures of some of these other fires is just you know mind blowing, mind boggling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it it is and. Um, we all have to um, to keep in mind that I mean, normally late September was when fire season started. Uh, we are already now at peak fire season, and we have the rest of September and probably October to go. So it's 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 
it's just it's really there is so much there is so much to um where we have to go through and let's just be uh really really uh careful because wow all right pascal hey thanks very much hey no problem okay and we'll and we'll stay in touch how's that sound okay all right bye-bye up next we have npr headlines followed by regional weather live from npr news i'm jack spear Senate Republicans tried and failed to pass a $300 billion coronavirus relief measure today. Nearly all Republicans supported the measure, but it failed to get the needed 60-vote majority to advance. Here's NPR's Susan Davis. Senate Republicans anticipated this outcome, but Senate Majority Whip John Thune told reporters it would show Republicans had a unified position that could potentially bring Democrats back to the negotiating table. Democratic leaders preemptively rejected the GOP bill, saying it doesn't go far enough to address pandemic-related needs. House Democrats approved a more than $3 trillion bill back in May, but the White House opposes it and says it's unnecessary overreach. With a stalemate over the cost and scope of the bill, it is likely today's vote is the last congressional action on pandemic relief before Election Day. Susan Davis, NPR News, Washington. President Donald Trump is traveling to Michigan today where he is trailing in the polls in a state he won by a narrow margin in 2016. As Michigan Radio Steve Carmody reports, Trump is coming to hold a rally in part of the state. The president will have to carry big if he hopes to win Michigan again in November. This part of Michigan in the central part of the Lower Peninsula is mainly rural and highly conservative. Voters here remain strongly supportive of the president. The region played a pivotal role in his winning Michigan by a little more than 10,000 votes in 2016, and it appears President Trump will need to rally them again. Recent polls have shown Democratic nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, leading in the state. Biden also spent time here this week. He met with unionized auto and steel workers in suburban Detroit yesterday. His wife, Dr. Jill Biden, is scheduled to visit the state next week. For NPR News, I'm Steve Carmody in Freeland, Michigan. Louisiana's governor plans to ease coronavirus restrictions in an order due out tomorrow. NPR's Debbie Elliott reports it's part of a gradual reopening plan, even as the state reports a high incidence of infections. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards says the state is ready to move to phase three, but did not provide details on what that will mean for businesses now under strict occupancy limits. Edwards says a mask mandate will remain in place because the threat is not over. My concern is that when you say you're going to the next phase of reopening, people assume, well, that means everything is okay. Well, it's not okay. We're still number one in the country uh, in cases per capita. The move to reopen comes even as schools and colleges are resuming in-person instruction in Louisiana. New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell says that city will not lift its restrictions, including bar closures. Debbie Elliott, NPR News. A wildfire burning in Northern California is now the state's largest on record. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection saying the August complex fire has now scorched more than 736 square miles. On Wall Street today, the Dow dropped 405 points. This is NPR. A new report from the World Wildlife Fund finds the world has lost more than two-thirds of its animal, bird, fish, and amphibian populations in just the past 50 years. As NPR's Nathan Rott reports, human activity is the primary cause. The decline is staggering. Wildlife populations plummeted 68% worldwide from 1970 to 2016, according to the World Wildlife Fund's biannual report on the planet. 
and we humans have to shoulder the blame. Deforestation is the leading driver of population loss, the report says, mainly in the tropics. Climate change is a growing concern, and both problems are worsening. The report joins a long list of scientific studies and international reports warning that we are in the middle of an extinction crisis. The latest study, like many before, also says that the decline of the natural world is a threat to human life and that actions are needed fast. Nathan Rott, NPR News. The Trump administration announced today it's charged a Russian national in a sweeping plot aimed at creating distrust in the American electoral process. The government also announcing it's imposing sanctions against a Ukrainian lawmaker accused of interfering in the U.S. presidential election in November. Criminal charges accused the Russian of stealing American identities and opening fraudulent bank accounts and promoting messages aimed at undermining confidence in the U.S. system. Similar foreign influence was described by special counsel Robert Mueller, who identified the issues in the 2016 race. Oil was down 75 cents a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, tonight in the Grass Valley, Nevada City areas, There will be widespread haze and areas of smoke with a low around 58 with southwest winds of 5 to 7 miles per hour. On Friday, widespread haze and areas of smoke will continue with a high near 84 and an overnight low around 59 with light and variable winds. In Sacramento tonight, there will be widespread haze and areas of smoke, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 60 and southwest winds of 6 to 8 miles per hour. Friday, widespread haze and areas of smoke can continue with a high near 88 and an overnight low around 60 and southwest winds of 5 to 7 miles per hour during the day and evening. In the Truckee region, there is a dense smoke advisory in effect through 5 p.m. tomorrow. Tonight's low will be around 41 with west winds around 5 miles per hour. And on Friday, widespread smoke will continue with a high near 76 and a low around 43 with southwest winds around 5 miles per hour in the afternoon. And tonight in Angels Camp, widespread haze and areas of smoke will gradually clear with a low around 61 and southwest winds around 5 miles per hour. And on Friday, widespread haze is expected with some areas of smoke. Highs will be near 87 and overnight low around 63. And calm winds becoming southwest around 6 miles per hour for the afternoon and evening. And now it's time for Bravehearts, a new feature on Thursday evenings that takes a look at situations and lives of the homeless in Nevada County. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise. And these are the Bravehearts. I'd like to welcome Sean to our program this evening. Sean, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. How does that feel when you get support 
and you build that back up and you have your self-confidence and your worth and your values back. Well, ultimately, the thing that I struggle, I mean, still with to this day is I, I just say I want to be a normal person with a normal life and I'm striving to get back to that. I still have self-esteem issues that I struggle with. When, when people reach out to help me, something I have to fight off is the question of why they're doing it. I mean, I, I don't mean it as a why they're doing it as in a sinister way. I mean it why as in why? Why am I worth your help? I, right. I'm a little baffled. Sure. There's a stigma sometimes associated with being homeless on the streets or wherever your circumstances may, may be. And people have a tendency to judge and persecute. How did you feel when you were going through this period of homelessness or without having a place that you could call home? How did you feel that you might have been looked upon by the community in general? That's a very complicated answer. It is a wide spectrum. It is a wide spectrum that I think boils down to one idea that I learned very quickly. <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've done plenty of volunteer and charity work in, in my past before I was homeless. And I thought I understood and I thought I got it. I did not. And the true understanding is exactly how easily it can happen to any, literally anyone. Just the right circumstances, that's all it takes. And they're just, they are people exactly like you. And you don't get that really until you are seeped in the environment itself. The spectrum I've come across, that's, that's the defining thing is you can kind of tell who understands that what someone once said to me is, do you know what the difference between someone in jail and you is? Absolutely nothing. They made a mistake. You haven't made one of those mistakes. They did. That's, but they're still, they're exactly like you. I, I think it's the same thing for homelessness. And you can kind of tell the difference when relating with people. You can tell if they can tell that difference or if they know that fact or if they don't. You get everything from just walking down the street Passing cars of teenagers will mock and videotape. You get open mockery. You get uh, for doing absolutely nothing, just going about your day. They don't know that you're walking to class. They don't know that you're that you're uh, a student. They don't know that you're walking to work. They don't know you have a job. You just look a certain way, and they react to it, and they see you as less than. They see you as subhuman. You're a different caste. While you were homeless... What do you think were some of your biggest challenges? Biggest challenge was finding work. That is by far the, the biggest challenge. It's um, what most people don't realize is you can lose your driver's license in a number of ways. If you have fines that you owe or something like that, they will uh, take away your driver's license. Without a car, without a license, uh, it becomes very difficult to get places. It becomes very difficult to, to find work. I guess another question I have for you is... When it came to the community, our community especially, how do you feel about the amount of support that you received? I'm very grateful for the support that I received. Um, I received uh, Specifically, I received help from Hospitality House, uh, the Spirit Peer Empowerment Center, Nevada County Behavioral Health. And between those three, they, they really have set me back on, uh, on the way to uh, getting back on my feet. What's your next step? My long-term goal is I am going back to school and I am working on a master's in social work. 
One reason why you do find a lot of passionate people doing this work is because the difference between this war and every other war is we know everyone who dies. And thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. I'm speaking to my friend Francisco Lovato, former manager of KVMR Radio many, many years ago. And Francisco, you're back in the country. I am back. Yeah, and I just want to remind our listeners, uh, we spoke uh, oh, several months ago, and you were living in Spain, and you were stuck in your apartment because everything was completely shut down and due to the virus. And those days have Tell us about what happened in Spain with your situation after we spoke last time. Well, you know, I continued uh, being in lockdown. It gave me a great opportunity to get caught up in a lot of writing that I had wanted to complete. And uh, so I finished uh, one book and almost another. And during that lockdown time, uh, somehow, you know, my clothes shrunk sitting in the closet. I don't know how that happened. Just probably not wearing them enough. But uh, that happened. And when it was time to go out, uh, we got to notice that there would be limited uh, outdoor time. And they started with just a matter of three hours. And they segmented it into senior citizens, people over 60, and, and uh, younger people during another period. And that was the very beginning of how they did it. And I will say that the Spanish, they were 99% wearing their masks. Um, only an occasional person would not have a mask on. It was very, very rare. They all wore their masks. And I'm sure they were just all so anxious to get out because the Spanish are social people. They <laughs> they live outdoors. They I mean, they from home who live in the city. The homes are very modest and small, and so their life is about socializing with the pals at bars all over town. I mean, you can every. 75 feet is another new Catholic bar. And all different. Uh, oddly enough, they they seem to offer about the same food and drinks. But neighborhoods and people grew up in these little, they're like extensions of, uh, of their living room. They meet their friends there. It was great to see everybody out chatting and hands flying in all different directions because they speak a little louder with their hands and their own than their lips in Spain. So it was uh, it was a joyous occasion. But it was one that was uh, they wore their masks. So, when did you leave Spain? Uh, about a month ago. And were things yeah. completely opened up by that time? Uh, no, it's about like it is here now. Um, people round about masks were required restaurants were only outdoors or 
they they some restaurants had uh, social distancing tables that were separate and far apart and you know if you've been to Europe you you know that there sometimes their restaurant fronts and their cafe bar fronts are very capable of being open and so I think they qualified under the open rule if you had enough uh, storefront that was open. So it was uh, it was really good, and people were happy to be out. I could, I could see it was. Uh, they're not people who like to hang out and in their homes a long time. They're they're up to all hours of the night and just just walking and socializing. And it's uh, something that I I miss dearly here, you know, it's 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 the big to me. People love to go to foreign places and see the sights, you know, see the beautiful palaces and all the architecture and the museums and the beautiful natural occurrences. But you know, to me, the most beautiful thing about Spain is the socializing of the general public and it includes the family you know the kids and the elderly and all ages of people are hanging out in the same places you don't have these separate bars i mean late at night on a weekend yeah things change but during the week everything is uh it's a free-for-all for everybody to go and just be together and talk. And I rarely ever see a heated conversation of anger or uh, have been in one. So so you're back and you're up here and you're, you know, kind of your adopted home in this country. Um, yeah. Uh, what was it like to be back when you, when you first got here? How did you, how did you feel about the community and how it's changed from the time, you know, from when you were here before you went to Spain? Um, I, I think I, it gave me a little more open perspective of how things have changed over the years. And of course, Change is inevitable, but I can really see the ma- the major change of of our community um, since. And I noticed that though any time that I came back, I managed to come back once a year over the last four years, and and it was always a culture shock to me. You know, it was wonderful. The greatest thing is seeing my old pals. It was, it was really really great, but. I, I noticed that the most difficult thing was walking in storefronts and not knowing the store owners, the new store owners. And uh, so it was that, that was kind of the biggest change for me. Thank you, Francisco. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Paul. Good day. I've been speaking with Francisco Lovato, Nevada County resident and f- former station manager of KVMR Radio, about his experiences living in Spain during the COVID-19 pandemic. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Dear listeners, 
This essay hails from last year's planned power shutoff, so please ignore the number of outage days, the number of cats, and the phase of the moon. The only trouble with a power outage at my house is that I have sleep apnea and use a machine at night to keep myself breathing, a machine that plugs into the wall. Without it, I apparently stop breathing 250 times an hour. This is an impediment to useful sleep and over time can kill me, but probably won't do so in the four or five days without power they're predicting. It is enough, though, to make me irritable and depressed. So there I was at five o'clock this morning, looking out the bathroom window into pitch darkness, when I remembered the Safeway was open. Then I remembered there was a Starbucks in the Safeway. You may never have seen an irritable and depressed poet get dressed and zip out the door quite so fast. I was eighth in line when I reached the Starbucks, and there were 20 people behind me when I paid. I purchased two lattes, drank one in the little cafe area while checking my phone, and saved the other for lunch. On my way home, I counted 46 cars lined up to buy gas at Robinson's. Most other stations sold out yesterday. Shades of 1973's energy crisis, if you were born then. My cooking stove runs on propane, and I had a flat of tomatoes to can, so I've spent the powerless days chopping, roasting, saucing, and listening to the lids ping after 45 minutes in the canner. I don't know why I feel compelled to preserve things this year. The fruit trees are so crazy prolific, and maybe I'm practicing for the apocalypse. Anything we've frozen rather than canned is about to rot in our freezers, not to mention everything in the grocery stores and restaurants and school cafeterias and food banks that don't have generators. This makes me seethe. I appreciate the danger of high winds and fire and the hard work of the rank and file, but not the priorities of utility company executives. The best thing about no power is how dark the nights are. Two-thirds of a moon is growing in the sky, but before it rises, the stars are a sight to see, and it's a lovely respite from electronics. At Safeway, I felt revived being among my neighbors, hearing their power outage stories, knowing that the ER and Rebe's Auto were both going to be open. Then I checked my email and messages and Facebook and found myself pulled back into the social vortex. It's so complicated these days, isn't it? Tonight I'll get some decent sleep out of friends thanks to her generator. Five out of five cats are going to wonder where their human heating pad has gone. They'll be as glad to see me in the morning as I'll be to post photos of them on Instagram should power ever, someday, return to Nevada County. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we bring you Making Contact and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.